would you do if you met the Messiah? See how the Jewish people react when he finally arrives. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. It's been over 400 years since the events of the Old Testament came to an end. 400 years of waiting and 400 years of difficulty. As the prophet Daniel foretold, there was upheaval among the kingdoms of the world during this time period. First, the Babylonians conquered the kingdom of Judah. Then the Medo-Persian Empire defeated the Babylonians, who were then defeated by the Greeks, who were finally defeated by the Roman Empire. In the midst of this are the Jewish people, the people who formerly had a glorious kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon, who returned to the land and rebuilt the society and temple for worship of the one true God. Yet this society is a shell of its former glory. The temple they rebuilt is smaller. The kingdom never flourishes to the extent that it did before the 70-year exile. And it's in the midst of this that we meet the long-awaited Messiah. It's not in a glorious reveal like we might expect. Instead, it's an utter humility. This Messiah is born as a little baby in a stable in a little town that King David grew up in hundreds of years earlier. Bethlehem just a few miles south of the great capital city of Jerusalem. This Messiah is born in the lineage of Eve, of Abraham, and of David. He is the long-awaited seed of the ancient promises. Instead of being born in a palace, he's born in a borrowed stable and laid in a borrowed manger, a feeding trough for the animals, and he's named Jesus. With this humble beginning, Jesus grows up and demonstrates uncommon wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures. In fact, at one point when he's 12 years old, his parents find him in the temple in Jerusalem sitting among the teachers. It says that he was listening to them and asking them questions, and all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Yet it's not until around age 30 that he begins to reveal his identity to the public in earnest. Upon beginning his ministry, he calls 12 men to be disciples. These men were to follow Jesus and live out his teachings and instructions. That's what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus and live out his teachings. Anyway, so Jesus and these 12 disciples begin traveling around the land, spreading the message of Jesus. And the message that he preaches is essentially this. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 17. Said another way, this essentially means turn away from your sin and back to God, because the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus was telling the Jewish people that his kingdom, the kingdom of Messiah, was about to be established. The everlasting kingdom that God had promised to David was coming soon. Many of Jesus' teachings concern this kingdom, what it's like, what it's not like, and who will be in the kingdom. One of the most famous conversations in the Bible gives a sense of the character of Jesus' ministry. This conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus is a great example of how Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That was from the book of John chapter 3. 
You can tell that Nicodemus is perplexed at what Jesus is saying. After all, the Jews of the day were expecting that the Messiah would come and conquer their enemies and have a glorious kingdom on earth. Jesus is beginning to indicate that this will actually happen in stages. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that will begin within people and then eventually manifest in the world when the literal, physical kingdom is established by Jesus Messiah. We'll talk about this more in a few episodes, but you can think of it like this. Stage one is establishing a kingdom people, and stage two is establishing a physical kingdom. This is what God was doing, and it was a new thing. He was establishing a kingdom people via spiritual new birth a people he would eventually rule in an established kingdom on the earth. While Jesus continues spreading this message, and the general populace of the land likes his message, and many of them recognize him as a prophet and a great teacher, soon his disciples begin to recognize him as the long-awaited Messiah. Not only this, but Jesus' message is not merely that he's the Messiah, but that he is God in the flesh who has come to save his people. He says that he is God's son and that God is his father, making himself equivalent with God. And he proves his power and his identity by performing amazing miracles. He turns water into wine, heals a man born blind. He multiplies a meal to feed 5,000 people. He walks on water, and he even raises a man from the dead. But despite his power and his kingdom message, he's not well received by the religious leadership of the day. They reject the idea that God can become man. Instead, they accuse him of blasphemy against God and against the law that God had given the nation long ago. So they decide to launch a plan to put him to death. Betrayed by one of his twelve disciples, Jesus is sentenced to death by crucifixion, where he would hang on a wooden cross to die. Now at this point I want to remind you of what Daniel had said over 500 years before. He said that when Messiah came, that he would be cut off or killed. While this was mysterious at the time he said it, the picture becomes more clear as we look at Jesus on the cross. This Messiah figure was doing something great for humanity, something that points back to both the idea of substitution and to the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, Abraham was promised that one of his offspring would be a blessing to all the nations of the world, and Jesus was accomplishing this blessing. Jesus was accomplishing the blessing in this way. Instead of an animal substitution, where an animal was killed to temporarily take the penalty of sin in the place of people, Jesus on the cross was accomplishing the perfect permanent substitution. He was becoming the perfect sacrifice for sin of the world so that he could grant the blessing of righteousness to all who believe in him. His blessing was that he would forever remove the sin of people from all nations who believed in him. Furthermore, by people placing their sin on Jesus by faith, they also receive the perfect righteousness of God. This is monumental. Jesus with his death on the cross isn't suffering for something he did wrong. Rather, as God, he is suffering for the wrongs of all of humanity so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can enjoy the blessing of renewed fellowship with God himself. He was paying the death penalty on our behalf, so that we could live with God again. The curse and penalty of sin, starting way back in the Garden of Eden, is undone on the cross for those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, that was deep. 
And we'll explain more about that in a future episode. But here's what you should remember. Jesus himself was the perfect substitute for sin, and his death was the death in our place for our sin. So Jesus dies on the cross, and just as he was born in a borrowed stable, upon his death he is laid in a borrowed tomb. It's worth noting, though, that borrowing is always temporary, because on the third day after the crucifixion of Jesus, the tomb is empty again. The women who had followed Jesus were the first to discover his missing body, and soon they have an encounter with Jesus, who was raised from the dead. They go back to the disciples and tell them, but the distraught disciples won't even believe them. Soon, however, Jesus appears among them, and they recognize that their teacher, whom they had followed for three years, who they had witnessed die on the cross, was standing in front of them alive. What did this mean? Was it time for Jesus to finally become king over Israel and institute the kingdom of God on earth? Had they come to the end of history? We'll find out next time on The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.